0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you here, all the new faces and people visiting the town. Just want you to feel really welcome, and those of you who are back for a while. Super glad to have you guys. So uh, most of you all know, if you've been around at all, I, I spend a lot of time at this coffee shop at the end of Elk called First Ascent. And uh, it just I, for some reason, I can focus there better than I can, like, hold up in my office up here. I don't know why that is, but I can. And so I see people there from time to time. And this week, I was sitting there, and I was in there for quite a while on Friday, like, maybe four hours, finishing this this stuff up right here. And uh, so I'm typing on my computer, and, like, I write in this really big font so that I can see it today, you know, so it's large. And so when people are sitting by me, you know, in the coffee shop, I know they can, like, see it 's like Jesus and Bible and all this, and I, you know that 's not the usual Cresci Butte thing if in case you didn 't know that well so i 'm up there i 'm up there on Friday, and there 's these uh, young adults probably in their 20s sitting here, and they 're just talking about their life and and stuff and, and uh, so that we, we were there together for a long time, and we got up together at the same time to leave and One of them started a conversation with me, and we we 're visiting for a minute, and they I guess they 'd seen my notebook my my computer or something like, what do you do? it's like, well, I'm I'm a pastor. I work down the street. Are you a priest? You know, do you, and we had this huge, well, 20-minute conversation about uh, all of these different things that they grew up with in a major denomination that turned them away. And now I would call them de-churched because they, there were all these forms, all these things that they had to be and do and be at and, uh, you know, these These rules that they had to follow in order to be accepted by Jesus to be a part of the church. And so as we walked outside, we were talking, they're like, do you wear that stuff when you talk? I was like, well, kind of, you know, and so they're just amazed at the fact that you could, they said, well, we never really read the Bible. I said, well, you can, you know, I, I got, we just, we started this conversation where I found myself trying to, ended up kind of saying, I am sorry that We, the church, me as believers in our history, have uh, put up edifices that have kept you from seeing who Jesus is. And basically, I said to them, "I, I I think that if you saw who Jesus is, you would be really excited about that. But unfortunately, the church has gotten in the way. And they were like, yeah, we kind of feel that way. So I said, well, come to July 3rd. It's church outside, so you can be really far out, you know, you don't, but we, what what I was seeing was that this thing that I'm constantly reminded of is that people want and need to see who Jesus is. And that's the privilege. If you're a believer in here, that's the privilege that we have of showing who he is by our actions, by walking deeply and closely with him so that he's exuded from us, really. And that's the thing that I want to do today is we're going to start a new series and the whole the whole series is is we're going to be looking at Jesus in certain situations and seeing seeing him in the crowds speaking to the crowds communicating with them as a whole instead of speaking one-on-one or healing one person or talking to the Pharisees or something like that he's going to be talking to the big crowds and that's why we called called what we did What I want to encourage you to do today is that we're going to do kind of an introduction to that from the book of Matthew. As we go through this introduction, I want to to ask you just to relax and sit back and try to take the perspective of his first disciples who are in this uh, beginning of ministry with him. So where we're going to pick it up is... uh, He's just called Peter and Andrew and James and John, the first four people, and they were you guys all know i'm sure they're they were fishermen and fishermen they had you know they didn't have big huge boats like we have these they have small boats, and so they spent a lot of time alone these These guys were guys that were okay being alone for large parts of their day and large parts of their life, and suddenly they're going to be launched into. A setting where the crowds and the throngs are around Jesus and they're gonna be watching him and trying to interact with these people and trying to follow him because he's all new to them, right? He's just called them into his life. And so everything they're seeing is new. And so it's a huge culture change for them. So what I'm asking you to do is try to kind of put on the fisherman's garb for a minute and try to, as, as we walk through this passage in Matthew 4, Try to watch Jesus and see him in the crowd and take a really good look at him. It's, I don't know where all of you come from. Some of you are devoted believers, I know. Some are exploring what Jesus, who Jesus is and what this is all about. Let's, no matter where you are on that journey, let's just look at Jesus. Like those people that I met at First Ascent, they just need to look at Jesus. And that's what we need to do wherever we are and let him inform us. And, and that's going to drive us to be close to him because it's, we're just going to scratch the surface. This is like the little trailer for the movie, okay? And, and actually, Jesus isn't going to say anything in this, but we're going to see uh, what he talks about. We're going to see the setting and the things unfold. So, all right, so put yourselves in your robes and whatever, in your sandals. Some of you already may be in sandals, for instance, here, uh, so uh, we 're going to be in matthew four verse twenty three and three things that I want you to see they're going to be these uh, epitomes of Jesus' ministry in his life: one is relief that Jesus brings relief, true relief, uh, second is this authentic humility that Jesus presents, and then uh, compassion, the compassionate heart of jesus is is uh, so evident at the end of this so uh, relief, humility, and compassion. So let's read uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame f- spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains those oppressed with demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis. This is all uh, from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem down south in Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So the, the whole region was following him. So this idea of relief. Let let me describe this for you just to say what what I'm trying to say about this. When you bring relief to somebody, you meet an immediate physical or a personal, spiritual, soul need that they have. Usually, it's some kind of hope that's delivered. It might be physical hope, like through food or water. If you uh, if you want to share about Jesus, if you want to help someone uh, in a in a country of people where people are suffering one of the first, or the neighborhood even in the States where people are suffering, one of the first things you do is meet their basic physical needs. If you're starving and you're laying on your back and you can't do anything, and I try to give you spiritual things, I try to tell you about Jesus before I give you water or food, I'm not really helping you very much. But if I go to you and I say, here's water, here's food, let me bring you to health and wholeness, and let me tell you about Jesus in the process, then it makes more sense. Do, Do you see what I'm saying? There's a if you've been involved in helping people that are in poverty, there's like there's different uh, definitions of how we help. Relief is where we meet a basic human need, put people on their feet, and then the next step is what we call development. Like you teach someone to fish so they can fish on their own. You don't just stay and and continue to give relief, 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 relief. We've, you see that's problem when you watch the news, right? We all understand what's happening in these situations. So what Jesus does is he steps into that first place and he gives relief. And I want to show you these places where he does it. And when I first read this passage, these didn't jump out to me. But as I continue to spend time with it, it it becomes pretty clear. And the first thing it says in verse 23 is that he taught them in the synagogue. And what that means is that he went up front. All these crowds are in there. And remember, you're one of the disciples, these first four guys. You're in the back somewhere. It's burning hot, right? Hotter than in here. And you're you're in the back. You're trying to, to let everybody else have the front seat. And, and Jesus is teaching, he, they, like they do, if you've ever been to a, a Jewish ceremony, they pull out the scroll, and they read from it, and then they talk about it, not unlike what we're doing here. Wouldn't that be cool if Jesus was teaching you the scripture? Like, he, it's about him, and, it's, and he's the author, you know? It would have been incredible to have him expound on the scripture for us. But the, the word of God is living hope. This is a principle that's absolutely critical to us. If you're exploring, you need to understand the word of God is something very special. The Bible in its original text and translated accurately is very, very, very meaningful and it changes lives. And Jesus is giving hope from the word. Okay, he's giving the word of God to these people in scripture. I, there's a guy, um, he didn't come today. I don't see him. Is Mike Stoneberg here? Okay, well, we were in a meeting with Mike and if you, if this week with some people who are starting up what we're calling our community care team where we help people in our community who have immediate physical needs or uh, spiritual need or, uh, from, I mean, from food to just uh, medical bill, whatever. So this team is coming together to, to manage and care and reach out. And so there were three or four of us sitting in this meeting, and Mike Stoneberg is one. And Mike Stoneberg, those of you guys who know him, he's a tough guy. So if you know a tough guy in your life, Mike is one of those guys. Like, if you're going to go to war or play a really physical, like, outdoor game, you're going to ask Mike to be on your team. He's one of those guys where I might be down the list a little ways. You know, as, as big as these guns are. Uh, so, hey, you're laughing. That's not supposed to be funny. So, uh, so Mike's in this meeting, and we're talking about bringing relief in particular to this, this one person and he's and I he just inspired me because he's got this real strong gravelly voice, and he goes something like if he says when we bring uh the when we bring good things to help people and, and food or, or or fix their car or whatever then the, we, right with that we need to bring in the the word of God he said because like whenever I'm struggling and suffering and he's been through some hard things in his life, when I turn like to the psalms and just read a few of the psalms i'm just lit up, just God fills me up, and there, it always seems to meet me. And it was so cool. Scott, you remember hearing, I'm sure you felt the same way, uh, when, he, when this tough guy is saying these tender things about the word of God and how just a simple psalm and that we can't forget when we help to reach in with, 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 when we give basic physical relief, when we reach in also with the hope of the, God, of the truth of the Bible. That's so. Jesus is giving them hope through the Scripture by teaching them. The second thing he does that we see just we just go right down the line is it says he proclaims the gospel. The gospel is a story of reconciliation between man and God. Okay, so when Jesus is talking, that he hasn't uh, sacrificed himself for mankind yet, but he's telling them the good news that has been revealed from Genesis forward. Wouldn't that be? You remember when Jesus meets those? Uh, the two people that are leaving after the crucifixion and he walks beside them and he said, and he explains to them all about who he is and how it fits together in the scripture. You remember that story? And at the end uh, there, he disappears and they're like, wait a second. That's what he's doing in the synagogue. And with these, these crowds, he's proclaiming the gospel. He's saying there was a broken relationship and it started in Genesis. It started in the earliest days. And from that point forward, God has been working, is setting out his plan to make things right, to restore all humanity in every way, which is rightness with God. And Jesus is that, he is the completion of the gospel when he sacrifices himself. So he's telling, it's like uh, some of you guys remember, you know, uh, the, the rest of the story on the radio, you know, the, the end would say, and he would tell it all and they wouldn't tell him the rest of the story. That would come later. But that's what he's doing. He's he's giving them the hope of the gospel, and there's no better thing for humankind. But then you see in verse uh, in twenty three. Also, all this is in twenty three. He heals every disease. So people in that era, uh, they didn't have the access that we have to have to, to have people uh, bring healing into their lives. And Jesus heals every disease. I think it's important to note. What Matthew seems to be saying there is that there was nothing that came before Jesus that he couldn't deal with. There was nothing too big for him. He would take on government later, but right in the the structure that that they lived under, this religious structure, but no disease was brought before him that he could not heal. And if you look, the, the scope of the healing, if you look down into 24, Read this with me. It was physical, spiritual, and emotional healing. And all of us are dealing with some of one of those needs in some place or another. Verse 24, they brought him all of the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. I mean, I get the impression that this is the short list. That Jesus is doing all kinds of, if they brought all kinds of people to him and he was healing them, then this has got to be the short list. Healing is an example of the gospel, the make things being made right. And what's interesting is that at this point in history, if you read the whole gospels or each of the gospels, you'll see that he doesn't heal every disease for everyone. He can, but he doesn't, because his plan is bigger than all of us as individuals. And we need to we have to engage with that if we're going to follow him, if we're going to know who he is. That's a piece of it as well. But at this point, he is healing people like. Crazy. Just, uh, that's a big part of his early ministry. Now, you've got to picture yourself uh, as these disciples seeing all of this happening. Remember, they've gone from pretty much isolation to these throngs of people just pressing in on Jesus. And Jesus is doing all of this stuff. So, uh, let me ask you what, are you, what are you seeing in who Jesus is revealed just by the, that little bit of what he's doing? But then the next thing is... Uh, that, though he brings he brings relief, he also does it with the most genuine humility. That, uh, well, let me, let me say it this way: it, it, g- genuine humility is the absolute hallmark of the very best leaders. Would you agree with me? How many like someone who is uh, hypocritical? Do you enjoy that? Are you are you prone to be led by someone who's hypocritical? They say one thing and do another. They change based on the, the their mood. Or that makes it really hard to follow someone. This is not who Jesus is. Jesus is absolutely authentic, but it, it's this humility about him that this passage reveals. It's, it's, it's very powerful. Um, this, uh, there, there is Back then and today, and I'm sure forever, authenticity is something that is absolutely critical to us, especially when it comes to the point of someone being a humble leader or leading as a humble person. <laughs> But uh, just to just to prove this to you, I, my family was at uh, on a trip to California recently, and we were visiting some colleges. And my son Michael, he he's always wanted to go to Alcatraz, just to visit. <laughs> so uh, we we arrange this whole thing. We go to we go to Alcatraz. But one of the things we do as a family up there in San Francisco is we rent bikes and ride over the Golden Gate Bridge. anybody ever done that little party? Okay. Well, it's kind of like being in the trailer for a movie, for an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie or something like that. Cause it's like, it's a sensory overload. You're going up, the cars are flying by on this fence. You're like right by them. They're going 60 miles an hour. And then there's this like perilous drop off through this side of the fence. And then there's bikers coming this way and you ride on the wrong side. You're supposed to ride over here. And they're coming over. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, so the people, it's just everywhere. And then you ride down on the other side and, and you ride down into uh, Salcedo which is very peaceful, calm in the boats. It's a whole, you know, transition that you make. And when we got down into Sausalito, I noticed, the first thing I noticed, I don't know why it jumped out to me, was this restaurant that was trying to prove to me and any, anybody that was coming along that they were absolutely authentic. And it just, they didn't say we're authentic specifically, but they said, hey, we have wood, a wood-fired grill. I mean, real wood. And we brew our own beer right here with water from a well that's just right over the hill and we have uh, grass-fed beef, and everything's farm to table. Now, don't we love that guy, those people, right? Aren't we tempted to go in there? Because we want authentic stuff. These are not Twinkies or Oreos, right? (laughs) Or Cool Whip, whatever that is, or processed cheese. We all look at that. That's not authentic stuff. We want authentic stuff. And Jesus is absolutely authentic in his humility. And and I'm going to show you why right here. Uh, One thing is, uh, it's, it's proven by the audience that he is speaking into. Did you notice at the beginning it says, he's teaching in the synagogues of the people of Galilee. Okay, Galilee was the hinterlands. Like, that wasn't going to prove to anybody that he was somebody special if people from Galilee followed him. And here's why that's important. And this is a Tim, I just, this is straight from Tim Keller. In many Tim Keller messages, he'll say, here's a place where if Matthew is trying to convince the Jewish people that this is the Messiah, this would never be in here if it wasn't true. You would never like think, oh, the best thing I can write is that he was teaching and pressing up against and spending time with Galileans or that he was from there or that his first disciples were from there. This is, What he's saying is this is proof that the original text, the the message that we have from Matthew is exactly what happened. He's not trying to cover up anything, gloss it over, make it right, or anything like that. He's just telling us the truth about who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so if you want to convince somebody of something and you're writing them a letter, you want to put in the most convincing things, right? That's not what Matthew is doing. And that should encourage us about the authenticity of the word and the authenticity of Jesus. But then right after that, it says he's teaching in Galilee. He's doing all this. And his fame was spreading in, in uh, Syria. Syria is north of all this. It's the next place. You might have noticed that Syria is still in the news, right? Uh, when, when, they, when, they, when Matthew said that uh, Jesus was, his fame was spreading in Syria, they were like, This doesn't matter to me. And I'll tell you how we know that this is still the same thing. Most of us are are not concerned about the Syrian refugee situation, right? Now, I don't know exactly why that is, but in America, we're not concerned. Only 8% of churches have done any, American churches have done anything about the refugee situation in Syria. So we understand how a nation can be relegated. Right. I mean, we're we're doing it, and so when he when they say when this says Syria, it doesn't mean anything to them. It it means something to us, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Okay, here's another thing that proves his authentic humility. It says the sick were coming from everywhere. To us, that sounds really cool, doesn't it? Isn't that neat? Jesus was healing people and touching them and helping them and putting his hands on them. No self-respecting Jewish rabbi teacher would touch anybody who was sick like that, ever. Again, what is going on in the mind of Matthew to make him think that this is something that's convincing? We, we've read it so long, we think it's great. It was not great. This is gross. These are sick people that are coming, and they're bringing their curse and their disease, and they're pressing in on Jesus so much that in one place, a little later in this passage, it says he's like he's going to get crushed by them, and he has to get away. That's how close he gets to these people. I wonder what that looked like to those disciples. And I I want to, I I think it's really hard for me to get the mentality, and probably for you too, to get in that place where we look at him in in that space, touching those people, speaking the word of God to them, uh, bringing them the gospel what that says to us should be transforming, but it's hard to get in that place. It's it's hard to seem like that, but I think that's where we need to go. This authentic humility was uh, is something that we're still talking about today. Jesus' humility. Okay, last thing. This compassion that he has on the crowds. A few times in the scripture, it says Jesus had compassion on the people that were coming. You can look, this is in Matthew 9. So just a few two chapters up. Uh, this is a passage in Matthew 9 that, that almost parallels the one we just read. It says many of the same things if you read around it. But in verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is the defining emotion that we see that Jesus has towards the crowds of people this deep sense of compassion comes from him. And he says they're helpless and oppressed. In other words, they're stuck. They can't do anything about their situations. There's a a wonderful spiritual metaphor in that for us in the idea of grace and that there's nothing that we can deserve to be in the presence of Christ. There's no way that we can be good enough, but Jesus has compassion. He gauges those who can't make themselves right. See, it was a relevant metaphor for him to use this, uh, this shepherding thing because we all know there were lots of shepherds back then, so they all understood it. It was something we would understand too, like somebody who works in a restaurant, uh, you would get it. Somebody who works in the grocery store, this is a normal job. We would understand this if somebody shared a metaphor with us like that. But for Jesus, it goes beyond an emotion, compassion to to the act of sacrifice. So look at uh, John 10. This is what we're going to step out of Matthew just for this one verse. John 10, 11. This is Jesus speaking about the reaction he has to the fact that these people are like sheep without a shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, his compassion was sacrificial. It wasn't just a feeling that he had, like, oh, I think I'll do something for those people. He, he engaged with his entire life for the helpless. So when he, said, when he gives this metaphor, or when, they, when, when this metaphor was spoken to them about sheep, they would understand a shepherd leads sheep to water. A shepherd provides good grazing. A shepherd brings them into their pen to protect them at night, shuts the gate and stays there, sleeps outside to make sure that they're safe. But how far would a shepherd go? Would he intend to sacrifice his life for a sheep? That, that's not something that would have registered. Yeah, they were important. And yes, you should fight off the enemy wolves or lions or bears or whatever situation that came their way. However, when it came to your life, that's not something you would give. But Jesus says, the kind of shepherd I am is the kind of shepherd who gives his life out of compassion for his sheep. Do you see how that raises the value of the sheep? The sheep aren't just these animals to, be, to you know, graze around and, and maybe lead them to water. These are, animal, these are creatures to die for. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life. So this is this, the, the, the compassion of Jesus was not just an emotion, but it led to his, abs, his final sacrifice and the completion of the gospel. So we've seen, you know, he provides relief in the truth of the gospel, in the word of God. He, he meets people where they are in that. And he also brings healing to their basic needs in verse 23. And then we see how he just carries on. The, he, his humility, his genuineness is revealed. He's not trying to show off for anybody. He's exactly who he claimed to be, who God claimed he would be when he came. And then finally, he shows us this compassion. And we know the rest of the story looking back. And I, just, I want to just close with this idea. It's kind of a deep idea. Uh, I'm still trying to get my mind around it, but I think... This, this is the, the beautiful thing about the story. If someone offers to die for you and does die for you, then they have, they have already understood that there is no way that you could have earned that. They also understand that there is, whether they've already come to the point of, of accepting the fact that you messed up, that you're not perfect, that you're not gonna be perfect when they're gone, that uh, you you have uh, things in your life that they don't approve of. A person who dies for us has already accepted all the brokenness. Did, are you? tracking with me in this? You, when you give up your life, it, it beca- all of the other stuff about the person who's being died for is, it doesn't have an impact anymore because you're, you're not going to get any rewards for that on this side. And Jesus is going to give up his life for people who are imperfect and who are stuck and who are like sheep. And there's nothing they could do to make themselves right, but Jesus does that thing. So I'm gonna just thank God for that. Uh, the fact that we, as the sheep, can come before him and we don't have to be right. And in his authentic humility, he's willing to die for us. God, I, I just uh, come to you and I thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, there's there's something in this thought of the uh, uh, the fact that uh, if we get ourselves in that first century and we get ourselves somehow face-to-face to with Jesus, and then when he says, I'm going to die, it, it means for us. And it does for us now as much as, much as it did for them. He's our shepherd, but a shepherd like no other. The value, raises the value of sheep to the cost of the son of God, to your son. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we just keep our eyes on him. Let us cut through the fog of uh, tradition and history and culture, social stuff, things that we here and things that people do lord and look straight at jesus and may we now bless others even today in our little town with uh, with who he is in jesus name amen okay y'all have a great afternoon car wash at noon all right